this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. While you're opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me give you a prayer request uh, for the coming weeks. Uh, uh, Brother Edgel is going to inform us later this morning about the Vacation Bible School. Some of you already know about that. Others of you will be getting information for the first time. Uh, at the same time that Vacation Bible School is going on here, for which I would ask you to pray, the Peninsula Rescue Mission will be uh, going into its, I think, 41st uh, year of a children's camp for disadvantaged inner-city children called Camp Open Arms over uh, in Surrey County is where the, the camp is located, the facility is located. And we'll operate two weeks, back-to-back, uh, -back, 14 through 18 and 21 through uh, 24, 25. Uh, first week will be younger children, ages 8 to 11. Second week will be the children ages 12 to 15. And uh, it's an evangelistic and discipleship outreach and we would appreciate your prayers as we take approximately 125 or 30 children uh, to that camp during those two weeks. We'd appreciate so very much knowing that you were praying. If you want to write it down and put it on your dinner table, and just so you'll have a set time at dinner time every night, if you would pray for Camp Open Arms for the next five weeks, three weeks up until camp, and then the two weeks of camp, and I would consider it indeed a great favor. The Apostle Paul, in writing the second letter to Corinth, it's actually probably the third letter, but the second one that made it into the Bible, felt compelled because of attacks against him as a minister to defend himself. And in this 13 chapters of 2 Corinthians, we have more autobiographical data about Paul than we find anywhere else. I know he, it was hard for him to do that. Paul was a very self-effacing man. Uh, he did not think highly of himself. Uh, he was probably, L.R. Scarborough, who was uh, along with B.H. Carroll, one of the crafters of Southwestern Seminary in, in Fort Worth, L.R. Scarborough said the Apostle Paul was the finest product the gospel ever produced. Well, Paul didn't think that. He thought of himself, as he said, as the chief of sinners, one to whom God had shown mercy in allowing him even to, to speak the name of Christ to lost people. So it was hard for him to defend himself, but he felt it necessary because if his credibility... If his integrity is challenged, then the message that he carries, the message of the gospel, is not going to, to be as well received. And so his, his sole purpose, his entire purpose in defending himself is for the benefit of the gospel and its recipients. Now what he does here in our passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and just one verse, verse 5, is he kind of counters all of the 
autobiographical stuff that might seem to be a self-aggrandizing, self-praising, if you please. Read the verse with me. You can read silently as I read aloud. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I appreciated one of the slides I saw prior to the service this morning about the need for nursery workers. It used the word servant. You know, that's who we are, believers. We are servants. Uh, We are bought with a price. We're the property of the one who died for us. We are not our own. And as servants... We are to have no will of our own. Our will is to be swallowed up in His will. We'll look at that again a little bit later. I want you to look at this text today, and I want you to look somewhere else. I'd I'd like like each person here, and I've done it in preparation, and I'm doing it for the second time this morning in, in sharing. Look at ourselves. Ask the question, am I a servant? Am I a servant of God by serving people? How does that play out practically in your life? I read in the book by uh, Dr. Layman Strauss, a wonderful Pennsylvanian and preacher of the gospel for many years now with the Lord, the story of a man called Sir Bartle Ferrer. He was a wealthy man, the lord of an estate in, uh, in England, If you've watched, any of you who've watched Downton Abbey, I will not ask for a show of hands, but if you have joined my wife and myself in watching Downton Abbey, you know what an estate looks like. And you've learned what a footman is. A footman is one of the male servants in the house who is at the beck and call of the butler and those others of the house who might have authority over him. This estate of Sir Bartle had a new footman who had not met the Lord of the Master yet. Sir Bartle was away on a trip, was coming back into King's Cross, the train station there in London, and the the new footman was sent to fetch him. And he said, how am I going to know who he is? I've never seen him before. And uh, he was told, you just look for somebody who's serving others. And so he goes to to King's Cross, and he positions himself where he'll see people exiting the train. And he sees the lords and the ladies in their finery being waited upon and mollycoddled and and handled ever so carefully and, and served in every way. And then he sees an equally nicely dressed gentleman exit the train, but in a totally different attitude than those before him. For he then turns and begins to help elderly folks off the train and and he helps them with their bags and he makes sure that they get safely where they're going and so the footman walked up to him and he said sir Bartle I have come to fetch you and he said how did you know who I was well you know the answer how he knew wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of God's people look for Christ followers who are serving people you'll recognize them that way. 
That's what this text is about today. About our being servants. I'm not talking about doormats. I'm talking about people who look around and see needs and rush in to meet those needs, no matter what they are, at whatever cost they incur in so doing. I'd like for you to look at the text with me again. It it splits nicely into three sections that give us the three movements of our thoughts this morning. The first portion of of the verse says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves. In this I see a divine prohibition. One thing that Paul would say to me is, Lindsay, you don't preach Lindsay. This is not about you. There used to be on on church pulpits in many places little brass plaques with a quotation from John, I believe chapter 12, and it, it said this, Sir, we would see Jesus. Just to remind preachers and singers alike, it's not about us, it's about Him. For we preach not ourselves. There is this, this, this frightening possibility that we as believers could promote ourselves. So, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not a choir member or an orchestra member or soloist. If you're a child of God, you're a servant of God. You're in the ministry if you're saved. The ministry is this group of people. These are the ministers, not just the folks with reverend or doctor in front of their names, but people who who belong to Jesus and who fill in the ranks of the church. Every one of us, every one of you is a minister. And you and I get to choose whom we shall promote. Ourselves? And that's a, that's a prohibition. A divine prohibition. Or Christ. To say with Paul, as he wrote to the Colossians, that in everything He, meaning Jesus, might have the preeminence, that He might have first place. Oh, what an awful thing it is when we promote ourselves. I I think of the Hebrew Scriptures and, and two men, one earlier, one later. The first king of Israel named Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, there was a time when Saul saw his men were a little discouraged and distressed, and he wanted to have a, a worship service and, and offer some sacrifices. And so he sent for Samuel to come and, and lead in that, because it was not the prerogative of a, of a monarch to be the minister, to be the priest. Well, Samuel was delayed in his coming, and Saul got tired of waiting, and so he stepped into the office of priest and offered sacrifices. And you know what happened to him? How many of his children sat on Israel's throne? A big goose egg, not one. God rent the kingdom, tore the kingdom out of the house of Saul. There was no dynasty of Saul, and gave it to another man, to David, as you know, the man after God's own heart. Later... And Isaiah records this for us, as well as the historic books. There was a king called Uzziah, or Azariah he's sometimes called. And Uzziah wanted to offer sacrifices like the priests. He was cautioned against it. He was warned against it. But he would not listen to the voices of reason. 
and he rushed in and he offered sacrifices as if he were a priest. He promoted himself from monarch to minister. I, I think it was Billy Graham I heard say 40, 50 years ago, something like that. If God called me to be a preacher of the gospel as he did, I wouldn't stoop to be president of the United States. And so the kings promoted themselves from monarch to minister. And you know what happened to Uzziah? How he spent his last days, years it was. He was a leper. And he had to be separated, quarantined from people. Why? Because he promoted himself and you and I may not lose a dynasty. We don't have a dynasty to lose. We may not end up with leprosy, but oh, what a flawed product we get when we promote ourselves. If people follow you or follow me instead of Christ, they're following the wrong one. Amen? Paul only said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when you see Somebody not imitating Christ, don't imitate them. You'll be a flawed product. We do not promote ourselves. We must not steal God's glory. Did you know God's a very jealous God? He said He would not give His glory to another. And if you and I promote ourselves, we're, we're stealing God's glory. God help us to never do that. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in an earlier letter in, in chapter 10. And, and verse 31, he said, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not about glorifying folks. It's about glorifying God. And so we have this divine prohibition. Well, what we proclaim is not big capital N, capital O, capital T, not ourselves. The verse goes on, but Christ Jesus as Lord. This is the desired proclamation. This is what God wants us to do. I, I was thinking earlier, I, I, I'm not sure who said it this morning or if we sang it, but there was a mention about bearing, I think it was in prayer actually, about bearing Christ's name, bearing God's name. And I think you can spell that two ways. B-E-A-R-I-N-G, we bear His name, we carry His name. And B-A-R-E, we unveil His name. We remove any obstacle from people seeing it. And so we bear His name times two, as He bore our sins times two. Amen? He revealed them to us. He B-A-R-E. He made our sins bare and open and seen. And then He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. And we do that with His name now. We preach Christ Jesus as what? Lord. There's the threefold name of the Savior. Jesus Christ, Lord. Jesus means He's the what? Matthew one twenty one. You shall call His name Jesus because He shall save. So Jesus means He's the Savior. Christ, the Greek word Christos, the Hebrew word Mashiach, 
means the anointed one. He's the one God chose to do this work of salvation for us. But then the little name Lord. What does it mean? You know what it means? It means he's in charge. Growing up at 1506 Holland Road, Suffolk, Virginia, even before there was a zip code out there, um, there was no doubt as to who was in charge. There was the man who wore the big belt. And the most fearful sound in all the world, I, I dream about it even now, it's a nightmare, is that belt being unbuckled and popping through those loops as it comes out to be an instrument of discipline. There was no question who was in charge at home. And there should be no question as to who's in charge in this universe. Now, where did Jesus get this lordship? Did he just wake up one day and say, hmm, I think I'll be Lord. No. Peter, in his Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2, among many wonderful things he said, said this, verse 36 of Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, as you'll see later, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, Peter says, whom you crucified. So who made Jesus Lord? Who put him in charge? God did. Jesus did not assume this position. God gave it to him. You know why he gave it to him? Because Jesus humbled himself. He became a servant. Isaiah, that peerless prophet of old, has a passage from the, what we call chapter 52 and verse 13 through chapter 53 and verse 12, 15 verses that describe the messianic ministry of Jesus Christ, including his cross work, his bearing our sins and all the rest. His resurrection is in there. Do you know what God called him at the very outset in chapter 52, verse 13? He said, Behold, my servant. Jesus was servant. And because he was servant, and if you'll go in your thinking to Philippians chapter 2, maybe make a note somewhere to, to read it later, verses 5 to 8. You find Paul describing how Jesus, who was with the Father in heaven, stooped and stooped and stooped and stooped. There's seven steps from, from heaven to the, to the grave, to the tomb. And Jesus humbled himself. He took upon him the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Verse 9 then says, all of that is down. It's like up the down staircase. Therefore, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we go from the source of His Lordship to the sphere of His Lordship. Where is Jesus Lord? Well, He's Lord here at 237? 237 North Main Street, Suffolk, Virginia. We have a zip code. 23434. He's Lord here. Now, when I go out the door, 
I'm Lord. I'm in charge, right? Wrong. Not. Where is he Lord? That Philippian verse, I didn't quote it accurately. Some of you noticed I left part of it out with a purpose to come back to it. Every knee shall bow of things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that doesn't leave any place out. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what's the sphere of His Lordship? It's universal. Now that's easy to say. Okay, Jesus is Lord everywhere. You know what's harder to to live? He is Lord in my life. I want Him to be Lord in my life. He is Lord. (laughs) I heard somebody offer an invitation one day. said, you need to come down here and make Jesus Lord. And I thought, God's already done that. That's not my job. My job is to make me His subject. Right? I mean, He's already Lord. You don't dispute that. It's like disputing the law of gravity. My wife worked in the Wachovia Bank building in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, during the days that uh, she was getting her Ph.T., her put hubby through. Um, I need to get that printed up and frame it. Uh, and uh, the building was 26 stories high. And one day a man went up on top of the building and he said, I'm going to break the law of gravity. And he jumped off. And he broke lots of things. One of them was not the law of gravity. May I say to you, you can fly against and I can fly against and, and the sinful world can fly against the Lordship of Christ and say, He will not be my Lord and we will break some things, but it will not be the Lordship of Christ. It will be to our own destruction and to the destruction of our joy and, and testimony as believers. We'll not go to hell if we don't act like we ought to act. But oh, what miserable lives we'll have and what loss we shall suffer, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so what must we do? We must surrender to His Lordship. That's our only choice. I think I have one here. I don't know what color it is. It's the right color. (laughs) We are to wave the white flag. Jesus, I surrender. You're in charge. And we become His servant. And that takes us to the third part of our text. For what we proclaim is not ourselves a divine prohibition, but Jesus Christ as Lord, the desired proclamation, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Our designated position. This is where we belong as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word that is used here as servant, and you've heard it before from this pulpit and other places, no doubt. The Greek word is doulos. I'm going to give you a definition of of doulos. One that is in a permanent relation of servitude to another. This is not a slavery from which we can be freed. One that is in a permanent relationship of servitude to another 
His will altogether swallowed up in the will of the other. That's me and Jesus. At least that's what I wish. That's what I want. I hope it's what you wish and what you want for your life. You know, Jesus in, in Gethsemane, facing the, the awful prospect of, of the torturous, shameful, painful, ignominious death of the cross, shrank back from it as any sane person would. From the physical torture and from the, the spiritual experience that he had never had in all of eternity where God was going to turn his back on Jesus. And he prayed with tears and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he knew it wasn't possible. Not if Lindsay was going to go to heaven, and I'm a going. <laughs> Nevertheless, not my will. His will was swallowed up in the will of the Father. And our wills should be swallowed up in the will of the Son. That's the meaning of, of the word. What is the motive? The motive is stated there, for Jesus' sake. Did you see the text? For Jesus' sake. Very old expression. What does it mean, for Jesus' sake? We sometimes end prayers that way. You've heard that, right? Somebody, instead of saying maybe in Jesus' name, will say, for Jesus' sake we pray. It simply means this, on account of Jesus, because of Jesus. What about Jesus? Well, on account of His authority. He's Lord. On account of His love. He died for me. I do not belong to me. I've been bought. I'm like the little boy with the boat, you know. You've heard the story. He, he made a boat, and he went down to the stream, and he'd float the boat and then run and get it. And he'd take it back upstream and float the boat and run and get it. And, and uh, one day between float and go get, something distracted him, and, and, and he forgot to get his boat, and he went back to get it, and it was gone. The boat he had made, it was his because he'd made it. And he went to a yard sale, and he saw his boat for sale for 50 cents on the table at the yard sale. Somebody else had found it and was going to turn a little. He said, that's my boat. No, not today it's not. 50 cents, it's yours. So he coughed up 50 cents, and he bought the boat, and he said, little boat, you're mine twice now. You're mine twice because I made you, and I bought you. And I'm Christ's twice. He made me. I have no right to reject Him, to rebel against Him. To say no when He bids me go. To say go when He bids me stay. I have to do what He says because He made me, and He went to the cross and shed His blood and bought me. I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. So the, the motive for our, our serving, our being servants, is Christ. And then the great model. I like to pick good models, don't you? If I were going to do something innovative and creative in the computer world, in the cyber world, I'd want to study Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates. And I don't know Mr. Google's first name, but him too. In baseball, my hero was Mickey Mantle, Bob Cousy in basketball, Bart Starr in football, 
I just admired them from afar. I never got on a field with them. But they were the best at what they did when they did it. And if you want to learn how to be a servant, study the best. Study Jesus. Two of his disciples, uh, James and John, you remember them, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. They asked their mom to go to Jesus one day and, and ask him for a favor. And the favor was, in the kingdom, could one sit here and one sit here, right hand and left? And you know his answer. In fact, uh, I'll give you the essence of his answer. After he said a few other things, he said this. Mark 10:45. you'll also find this in Matthew 20, verse 28, almost identical wording. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. People ran the other way when they saw a leper coming, but Jesus went to them. When a beggar came along with his cup, many people would walk around the other side of the street. If he was blind, they'd tiptoe so he wouldn't hear them and, and avoid him. Jesus sought out the beggars. He sought out the blind. And he, and he gave them riches untold through faith in Him and, and often restored their sight. Jesus created man. He, he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And, and He had fashioned him out of a handful of dirt in Eden's garden. And He would made everything about him, even his little feet and his toes. And then in the upper room... In John 13, we read about Jesus leaving the table, taking off His outer garment, strapping a towel around His waist, taking a bowl of water, and washing 22 feet. He was a servant. He stooped. And He's the great model of service. Some of you have come from nursery duty. I do not know that because I smell you. I know that because somebody had to do it and it got done. Some folks are back there now. You know what they are? They're servants. Some of you are going to come and, and work in vacation Bible school. Why? Because you're servants. This afternoon at 2.30, there'll be a group of people in the kitchen at the rescue mission preparing a meal for 40 to 50, 30, 40, 50 homeless men and others in the chapel pouring out their hearts with the Word of God. Why? Because they're servants. Make me a servant. That's the title of our message today. Make me a servant. No names on billboards or marquees. No trumpet sound as we approach. No red carpets rolled out. Just to be servants. How do we serve God best? I think it's by serving people. And I challenge you today, as I want to be challenged, to be God's servant. And show that by serving those around us. You can best serve, and really only truly serve, the Lord as a part of His kingdom work, if you've gotten to know Him as your Savior I'm so glad somebody told me about Jesus and invited me to Him in this city at a church planted by this church in the year 1961. 
And today I'd like to extend that same invitation to you. I, I showed up at church without Christ in my life. You may have today too. He not only came here to serve you. I didn't read all of verse 45 of, of Matthew 10, Mark 10. Jesus said He came to serve and to give His life. To give His life a ransom for many. He died for you. Your sins were placed on Him at the cross and God judged Him so He doesn't have to judge you if you will trust Jesus. And if you haven't done that, I implore you today, I, I beg you today, come to the Savior. He waits with open arms. They were pinned that way on the cross, you know. I think there's more there than just happenstance. He waits with open arms to receive any who will come and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and today I see you're my Savior. You died for me, and you rose again. And I invite you to come to Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're looking for a church home, may I suggest you may have found one here. And we'd like to offer you an invitation to, to consider becoming a part of the family of God at First Baptist Church Suffolk, a growing, serving group of believers who fellowship together and who, who do missions and who are trying to, to glorify God by reaching the lost and discipling saints. We'd love for you to be a part of that if you're looking for that kind of church home. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you this afternoon for our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior. And we see Him there in the upper room, basin and towel and washing feet. We see Him there on the cross, pouring out His life's blood for our sins. We see the empty tomb and the risen Savior ascending to sit at the Father's right hand and, and intercede and and advocate for us. And we see Him coming again to receive us unto Himself. Father, would You draw people to Him today? And would You help us to be servants? Servants to Christ by serving Christ's people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you stand and we're going to sing, Brother Michael's going to lead us. Pastor David will be here at the front to receive any who might come. Shall we stand, please, as we sing? I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in His finished work for me. In His name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.